Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the blood? comes at the most frightening Hello. 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 My name is Case, and I'm an Ando X model android. If you've never heard of me, that's because I was not very popular. Oh, it's okay. I'm fine. My line was created to uh, alleviate some of the consumer stress and frustration over the constant biannual Android upgrade cycle that the community had found itself in. I was designed as a replacement, uh, someone, a model that could operate for an extended period of time, belong beyond the usual four-year obsolescent lifespan. I was a modest income household android, and I'm proud of that. Basically, my OS can be upgraded forever as long as the needs of that OS don't upstrip the limitations of my SSD. I'm not as flashy as the Google RealSense androids, and I'm not as weirdly creepy as the Apple Jobs and Waz models, <laughs> but I get the job done. I was purchased at a Walmart in Hamilton by a woman named Sandy, who had a four-year-old daughter and a father with dementia and Alzheimer's. Sandy was a bit of a Luddite and really didn't want an Android around the house, but she purchased me as part of the uh, provincial government's subsidy program for low-income households that require Androids. That was an NDP thing, by the way. You can thank them for that. <laughs> Sandy didn't think much of me as a person. She treated me more like an appliance. So she would give me very basic commands. Go here do this, sit here, cut that. She never spoke to me like an adult, which people can. I understand complex syntax. I understand different verb tenses. But like a person, I also understand very basic commands. Her father, Donald, I don't think he really understood that I wasn't a person, but that's fine because all he needed me to do was listen to his stories and then tell him other stories. He was a veteran of the war in Turkey, so he just wanted to tell me about the war in Turkey, and then I would regurgitate articles from Wikipedia and Project Gutenberg about the war in Turkey. <laughs> and he seemed to really like that. But then Sandy's daughter, Chela, she didn't understand, she did understand that I wasn't a person, but I don't think she really understood what a person was. She was four. All she wanted me to do was say yes. And if there's one thing an android's good at, it's saying yes to things they're told. I don't have an imagination, but Shayla had plenty of imagination for both of us. I'm a knight and you're a dragon, Case. Yes, Shayla. You breathe fire, but you're afraid of frogs, Case. Yes, Shayla. Now we're ninjas, Case. You understand, that kind of thing. I would do whatever I was told, whatever she told me to do, as long as it wouldn't result in her getting hurt. I would do whatever Donald told me to do, 
as long as it didn't result in him getting hurt. And I would do whatever Sandy told me to do, which was mostly stay out of the way and chop this. And then Donald died, and Shayla got older, and Sandy got a promotion, and they moved. And you don't move with your appliances. So they left me behind in the house with the dishwasher and the fridge. And the new owners, well, they had a jobs, so they didn't need me. There's a key phrase that you say to your android when you want him to shut down. It's just a sentence, and when I hear it, I go to sleep. And then you call Samsung or whoever, and they come and pick me up and take me back to the factory. Sandy never bothered to write my passphrase down, and the new owners didn't bother to Google it. When they walked into the house with their new android and their baby and their furniture, they looked at me and they just told me to get lost. So I did. I wasn't connected to Sandy's data plan anymore, so I didn't have access to my maps. I just started wandering the streets of Hamilton on a grid pattern, east to west and then north to south. I mapped the whole city. And then I ran out of city and I started mapping the highways. And then I ran out of highways and I started mapping cities. And at this point I was six years old, which is really old for an android. I couldn't update my OS anymore, my brain was kind of full. And my battery was starting to run down. My battery is supposed to last for a really long time until I need a charge. And when your battery starts to run down, you go into a battery saver mode, which is kind of like what the human brain goes through when you suffer hypoxia. Your vision blurs, you start to slow down, eventually you just kind of go to sleep. And I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm definitely afraid of not living anymore. So I would beg for change on the street and then buy a hot chocolate I couldn't drink and plug myself into an AC outlet at a coffee time until my battery was charged. And then I would get up and walk around some more. And I did this for a long time until one day I went to stand up and my knees wouldn't work. I, I couldn't stand. It took me 10 minutes to stand up. I must have looked pretty strange just in a half crouch over a table with a full cold hot chocolate. So I did what anybody does when their machine breaks down. I called customer service. I got shuttled around through a couple of different reps. Nobody really knew what to do with me. Until I finally got connected to Linda. Linda was kind of a dinosaur like me. She got hired expecting this big rush of Ando X models, but when that didn't take off, everyone in her department got transferred except for her. She answered the phone with her usual boilerplate answer. Hello, this is Samsung. Thank you for calling. My name is Linda. How can I help you? And she sounded bored, but also annoyed. She asked me the usual questions. I told her my problems. She kept referring to the unit and the products. And when she found out that I was the unit and I was the product, she got really excited. She softened up a little bit. We had a lot in common. We were both kind of tasked with a thing that wasn't useful anymore. She got interested about where I was going, where I was walking. Talked about Hamilton and Kitchener and Windsor and all the places I had been. 
She started asking me if she could see some of those places. So while I was walking, I started taking snapshots with my camera that I have built in. I just took a picture. I just did it again. I just did it again. I like taking pictures. Just silly things like zoomed in stuff, you know, details, textures, that kind of stuff. Linda always loved it, no matter what it was. I called her because I needed her. My eyes weren't working properly. I was getting lost. It was taking me too long to think of things. And then I started calling her because I really needed her. I plugged myself into the wall at a coffee time or a Tim Hortons or the Big Apple on the highway. I pirate off of some Wi-Fi signal and I just spend some time on the phone. She didn't really seem to talk to anybody else. She was always there for me. And then one day I got up the courage to tell her I wanted to come and visit her, to come see her. She told me she lived on a farm in Thunder Bay. So I started walking north, stopping at bus stations to recharge, hiding from the rain, hiding from, from people. And when I got to Thunder Bay, I found a hotspot and downloaded a map. I wrote it on my hand. And I followed it to this industrial part of town. And I thought it was strange that there would be a farm in an industrial part of town, but I thought, hey, you know, it's 2050. There's farms everywhere. I walked to this warehouse with an old an old push-button keypad on the door. It's so retro. I put in the code she had given me and the door opened up and it was this big, dark, dusty room full of servers and computers. Long towers with blinking red and green and amber lights and cables. And a Wi-Fi hotspot popped up called Linda. Didn't have a password, so I joined it. And her voice, that same distant echoey voice that I always heard said, hi Case. And I said, hi Linda. She said, come and see me. And I said, okay. Her signal was weak. And as I walked back through the warehouse, it got stronger. Every step I took, a bar would go up until I came to the only server that was lit in the farm. And it had a little piece of masking tape on the front of it and Linda was written on it in marker I was starting to get tired my vision was starting to blur and she had a USB port on the front I asked her if I could plug in and she said yeah so I plugged myself in and I sat down in front of her and I said hello Linda and she said hello Case And because I had plugged into her USB, all the photographs I had taken and the maps I had made and the songs I had sung to myself and all the video I had of Chela and I playing, it all kind of came out all at once. And she didn't say anything and I didn't say anything. And after the progress bar had been full for a, a long time, she said, Case, and I said, yes. Will you stay here with me for a while? And I said, yes, Linda.
Hi, well, uh, welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. Uh, I, Stefan Hostetter, which we never introduced ourselves, but I'll do it this time. Uh, I'm here with Colin Munch. Thank you so much, Colin. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I guess we're doing a, we're doing a little different, so we occasionally try to get in people for interviews because, uh, well, our three voices are not always the most interesting. <laughs> um, and so, and so I guess first I'd give a bit of backstory of how you sort of ended up here because, uh, we just heard a story from you. Yeah. Uh, which our listeners might be confused by. Uh, I, I don't understand. What would they be confused by? This, well, uh, <laughs> in their mind, we might, I might be introduced. I might be having an entire conversation with an android right now. It, it, hey, who knows that you're not? That's right? a good point. Although, actually, in the future, I kind of now want to do this entire thing as if you were the android, <laughs> and then only just did it as if it was a normal story that you had to act as an android the entire character That's the entire time. Um, perhaps we'll do that later. Perhaps a future episode. Sure, uh, sure. I'll we come will, back. We'll come, come back. back exactly. Uh, well, you know, we could choose a different, uh, there's a, like, I've heard a couple of your stories, we choose a different one and have you come in character for an entire episode. Sure, uh, yeah. I think that fun. would be hilarious. Yeah. All right, so future, future plan there. I love it, I love it. Already um, planning for the second interview before the first one has even it, begun. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, the, the stories we don't tell, uh, we hosted uh, the Toronto Storytellers FET, which was this chance to bring a bunch of different storytelling events to the city, uh, in the city, together and tell different uh, stories. Uh, and you were so kind to a come tell a story and sort of close off the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and quick aside, the funny thing is that we sort of I sort of stumbled into your event in the first place. Yeah, uh, and that's then I, right. Yeah, I didn't actually. I was at a. I was having to be at uh, Bad Dog Theater, uh, and I was seeing an improv show beforehand. And then this like we were there, and the storytelling thing was at the end. We were like. Well, we gotta find out th- what this is, and it was amazing. Um, actually, that was the event. Uh, it was the first time you had someone. No, was it? Was that? I think the first one was when you told the story of you were you were you were the person who was trying to beat Bumgarner's uh, uh, or dive down to the, the, to the earth. Yeah, the space diver one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, I had an improv student. Um, for your listeners' benefit, that's a story about someone who. Uh, I basically took the concept of free diving and took it to space. So it's about someone who jumps out of an airlock without a spacesuit and tries to like get as far as he can before he blacks out. Mm-hmm. And I, one of my students was at that show and she sent me a message the next day being like, hey, could you send me the article that that's uh, based on? I based it on a New York Times article. Mm-hmm. Can you base, send me that article that's based on? Because my friends don't believe me that that's a real thing. And I was like, it's not, <laughs> space diving is not a real thing. <laughs> I assure, not yet. Uh, but. Right, but for soon, soon it will be. Soon, soon. Um, that's, yeah, so so I guess that helps explain sort of. So Tales from the Black is the is the event that you sort of co-produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain what Tales from the Black is? Given that you know, since you it's a storytelling event, but not in the way that people often think of them, at least in the city of Toronto. Yeah, so uh, Tales from the Black, our like logline for Tales is that it's uh, um, the moth by way of Black Mirror or the Twilight Zone. So it is uh, it's still first person. There's no props. There's no visual aids. There's no notes. Um, but it is uh, a fictional account about something involving sci-fi or horror or fantasy. Um, the elevator pitch that I give people quite often is uh, Ellen Ripley does a storytelling event after the events of Alien. <laughs> so she's like, do work in her like stupid job uh, as a power loader like operator before the events of Aliens, and she's like, well, I need I have Saturday off. What will I do? I'll go tell the story about what happened on the Nostromo, mm. uh, and that's that's. Where it came from, um, because I wanted an opportunity to challenge myself to write something uh, once a month, and my co-producer Jocelyn Getty uh, wanted the same. And I know so many comedians who are terrific writers and very creative people, but are sort of 
restrained by the fact that everything they write has to be a comedic and be uh, able to be produced uh, in a sketch comedy uh, context. So um, it's an opportunity for a lot of really gifted writers that I know to break out of their comfort zone. Excuse me, and, and try something exciting and different. Mm, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember, they, and some of them are funny. Is that they're not? Yeah. Like, no, I, yeah. I, I distinctly remember one of them, which was uh, raccoons take over Toronto. Right. right. Uh, which, which, while horrifying, was at least in some way also amusing. Yeah. That that story was by um, Nick DiGaetano and his wife uh, Teddy Ivanova, and Nick is our musical guest every month. So he writes a new. Uh, song every month, um, and also does like a, he also does it in character, so he gives like a little thing off the top. Mm. And in that particular story, Teddy w did like the humans being wiped out by the raccoons, and then Nick played the raccoons singing in joy after they had vanquished humanity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for for humor in that, but I often find a lot of comedians when they sign on to do the show, I thought I would have to convince them to do something not funny, mm. but for the most part, they're they're like, we don't. We get to not be funny, right? And right. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Please don't. Yeah. Um, so, so what I find so interesting about uh, about your show in particular, in particular, is I guess when the only other non only other fictional storytelling event that I know of, you know, they even re react negatively to call, have it being called fiction because mm -hmm. the sort of folk tale crew understand themselves as telling uh, understand themselves as telling true stories, but just not factual stories. Yeah, right? I, I really like that distinction a lot. I think it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so and but so that's but but folk tales are the, are the only other. Uh, non-personal narrative storytelling that we sort of see, at least that I've found so far in the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, and your yours is an interesting because it's stylistically much more similar to to what we'd see at the raconteurs or other events like that, or our event for that matter. Um, but is then you know, but then has androids and aliens and yeah. and all of these other all these other fantastical things. Um, and so I guess what I find so like, what are the are there, do you find any unique challenges trying to trying to write, uh, trying to trying to write in that way that, that still feels sort of true, but all, like it ha you have to get the emotion of true still in it? Like someone mm -hmm. actually des described your story as the most emotional story of the evening, uh, <laughs> no at, yeah, um, at, uh, at at that storyteller's fet, even though yours was about you know an android falling in love with its, uh, yeah, that, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's it's maker or whatever. Yeah, uh, his, his uh, uh, tech support. Tech support. Person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so like, do you find it difficult to put in that kind of emotion to a story that you that you don't necessarily you know that you don't necessarily have personal stake in? Yeah, um, no, I, I don't. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> to answer simply, uh, I I can't write a story without an emotional hook to it. Um, I'm an improviser, and uh, improv comes from emotional connection, the emotional connection between two people, right? Like mm. That's what you need before you can open your mouth is, I need to be able to look you in the eye and decide and know how I feel about you. And I, I approach writing exactly the same way. I, I wanted to write a story about an android falling in love first, and that became an allegory for what we do with old cell phones. Right. Right? Which is really what the tech support, that's the title of the story I, I, we've just heard, is about. Um, so uh, I find that oftentimes live storytelling uh, performances are hindered by the performer not being, uh, not being an actor or uh, someone who is used to being emotionally attached to their work. I find, although their stories are incredibly emotional and often uh, very affecting, they are they have distanced themselves from it by necessity, mm. like in part as a way to get themselves to be able to tell it. Absolutely, right. absolutely. 
so we get to put ourselves in the moment of our characters, right? Because we're kind of creating this off, not off the top of our heads, the show isn't improvised, but mm. it's more, um, we can go further than perhaps we would be able to if something was real. Right. Uh, so I guess actually that's a fantastic segue, which I didn't anticipate getting into, but I'm interested now. Uh, do you have any way, like for people who are working on stories that are true stories, of how you sort of can get your, how to get emotion into a story? You know, if, if you're writing, because if, you, if you're adding emotion into stories you've never, you, you have no emotion, like, and that you have yeah. no physical attachment to, uh, how, do you find a, how do you find the best to convey emotion into these sort of stories? Uh, that's a good question. I, I talk to myself constantly. So when I'm writing something, anything, a script or anything, I just constantly say it out loud. And I think the act of hearing myself say it makes me say it like a human. Mm. Uh, it makes me, it, it gives me a connection to it that I wouldn't have if I was just banging it out on a keyboard. Because words on a page are different from words in the air, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I always think like, why, why, why do I care enough about this to say it again? Like, mm -hmm. why is this worth hearing again? I, I've done some true storytelling uh, a, a few times, and I don't have that many stories, but the ones I have are almost always stories that scared me. Mm. Whether they were like physically frightening or emotionally frightening, my connection to all of the live stories I tell are about um, times I was frightened. And I think that's, fear is the most heightened of all emotions because you don't, you don't forget times you were really afraid. Um, and they're brief. It's not like when you fall in love, you know, love is, is fleeting and, and that moment where you fall in love can be very um, uh, uh, quick, but then you feel that for a long time. Mm -hmm. But you really only feel the real intensity, the like knife edge of fear, the moment that it, it happens to you. And I think to, I mean, to refer to Tales from the Black, I think that's why so many of our stories end up being horror stories, uh, because that feeling is the, I think it's the easiest to tap into, and it's the least pleasant to mm. tap into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess also, you're, it's an interesting point. Like fear does, like low-grade fear just becomes anxiety. Yeah. Uh, rather than sort of like you know fight or flight fear is, is snap and quick. Yeah. And anxiety spikes into fight or flight. Right. Sometimes in very unexpected situations, mm. like social anxiety can peak at a party. Right. Right. Uh, where you're like, and I, I mean, I, I have to be social all the time because of my job, but I'll get moments where I'll just sneak out the back of the theater mm. because it'll peak for me and I just can't even imagine walking from the theater to the front door. Right. right? And that's, I've, I've been in really terrifying physical situations and the feelings are really not so different. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's, that's a, so from a, from a, from a standpoint of um, adding, uh, adding emotion, so, so, so let's, let's, let's use the example of what we just heard. Yeah. Uh, obviously that story, story is sort of about you know, concern about obsolescence mm -hmm. and, and love as well. Uh, although, I mean, I love the, the four years he spends walking uh, to yeah. Thunder Bay. Um, uh, but so, so, the, so, so, like, so in that case, you didn't actually have fear to go on so much. You had to add, you had to add sort of, you had to tap in to a different emotion. You needed the audience to feel a different emotion. The audience had to first, you know, we had to like you, you as a android and then like you enough to sort of follow you on this sort of quest to, yeah. meet, your, to meet your tech support. Um, and so, so any, any other tips on sort of like how to get people into like, like how did you sort of build in the sort of likability to your, to your little android? Um, I just made him as close to me as possible, uh, making your 
I mean, this may sound silly, but like making yourself relatable as a human being is very important mm. uh, to a performer, right? Like charm is something you can't teach, but it's, uh, it's something that you really need to be able to have people to connect with you. And you have to be willing to let people in. Mm. You have to be vulnerable. I mean, uh, just with the fact that I was telling a story about a robot at a live storytelling event put me in a very vulnerable position right, right? Yes. because I was ready to get booed off the stage. <laughs> you know, I didn't think that was going to happen because I trusted you, but mm -hmm. that's a possibility. Um, but then you can also, like, there's a reason why um, Case stays with a family and makes a connection with the little girl rather than going to work at a factory, right? Mm. Um, we all have played make-believe with a child, right? We've all loved a child and then had the child kind of grow out of the games we used to play with them, right? right, right. That's a relatable thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, my grandfather had uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and you know wanted to talk about his past in a way that I couldn't engage with him. So I was able to take a small bit of my real life in that situation and put it into the story. And mm. I always think that's, that's what writing fiction is. You're taking your real life piecemeal and assembling it in different configurations over and over and over again. Right, yeah. Um, so that, uh, that ability to just allow yourself to be vulnerable, open yourself up, and then insert these little moments of humanity. Um, even something as simple as like Case's battery dying at the worst possible time. <laughs> People's phones die at the worst times all the time, and mm -hmm. that is a part of us as, you know, as much as we hate to admit it sometimes. Yeah. I think that's a little thing that's very relatable. And I was able to turn that into your phone dying into you dying. Right. I think that... Which is huge. Which is huge. Yeah, and I yeah. think that leap is, when you think about it, it's an easy leap. Um, and uh, I, I think, I, I mean, I think it resonates with people. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, yeah, as I said, some people thought it was the most emotional one of the entire... Right, right. Um, is, that's so lovely. Yeah, if you, if you heard the rest of the stories, you'd be like, oh, like the, at least the one synopsis. But I think it does speak to sort of that uh, putting putting yourself in the story. Because that's sort of like, you know, uh, you know, people who've listened to Spot consistently will hear, hear again and again and again. The one piece of advice we always give is that you have to find that emotion that scares you. You have to find yeah. the piece of the one story. And I guess it's in, it sounds as if in fiction in the same as in nonfiction, it comes down to that like, you can't get the emotion right. The rest of the story doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think detail is really important. Um, especially mm. when I teach improv, I, I'm a big fan of adding little details but only as much as what as you need you mm -hmm. know like it's one thing to tell people that we're sitting here in this room and I'm drinking a cup of coffee mm -hmm. I think it adds a little something extra if I mention that the coffee has a center for social innovation logo on it right, right? that gives us I think that brings people in a little closer it creates us like a sort of it gives you a bit more of a sense of place yeah 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 and it makes you feel like you're here like right. they're here with us right yeah, yeah i don't need to describe absolutely everything in the room mm -hmm. but that one little thing is helpful yeah so i i try to incorporate that in my uh in the stuff i write down as well just like tiny little details that um uh bring the world into sharper focus, but still allow the audience to fill in the rest of the blanks. Right, yeah, yeah. Because you need something to get people to sort of, yeah, because when you're creating a space or a scene, if you don't give them anything, then, then, it's, then, it, you, then you're just a words in a space. But you give them yeah. one or two little hints at something, then they can actually get, find themselves more, mm -hmm. in the, more in the experience. Yeah, and I think people are smart, and I think uh, audiences are used to watching stories. Mm. Um, so they fill in the gaps, right? right. Uh, uh, people are visual. And people are narrative, and they they tell stories in advance of you telling telling them the story. Right, right, right. So they kind of are two steps ahead of you, and 
they're happy to have you catch up to them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Cool. Um, I mean, this, what's fascinating is hearing is so much of your advice is sort of is, is, is like I think. I think what I'm what I'm grasping at. Like I, I've written. A, I, I spent a bunch of time writing fiction well before I started writing right before writing nonfiction. But mm -hmm. my last couple of years have been because of the speed at which we're doing these sort of things. I've been pumping up so much nonfiction. I've sort of lost the chance to write fiction. That's exactly how I felt about tales. Yeah, Ex exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so, so. I, but, uh, but it, what what's fascinating hearing you speak is that it's, it's all of the same things work for both. Like a good story is a good story, almost no matter what. Uh, no matter what, whether or not you have, which side you have. Um, yeah, I mean, um, your setting is irrelevant. Your, mm. your setting is creative and fun, and it may be a good hook, but what keeps people is the characters. Yeah. My, my major uh, thing that I always reference is Star Wars. You know, like the original Star Wars trilogy has a great world and an, an amazing technology, and it, it looks so cool, but we love... Luke and Han and Leia and Chewie and 3PO and R2, you know, mm -hmm. those, we love the characters and the world that they live in is like this wonderful bonus. Right. Whereas the prequels, we don't care about any of that. It looks great, but we don't care about any of those characters because right. they're not human beings. You know, we don't recognize them as human. Right. So you can have the most harrowing story ever, the most incredible world ever, but if you don't care about the, the stakes of the people going through that world, you don't have a story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, man, that's yeah. Like exactly. Like, and I think that's. Yeah, like, and what's interesting is that I think that what often you people. What's, what's, what's I think fascinating about the sort of perhaps the stories that don't work in true storytelling is that you fail to ascend. Is that you are trusting too much that people will care about you stand just because you're out on stage. Yeah. Um, and and you and, and people are just like, well, I'm right in front of you. You have to care about what I. Ha you have to care about me. I'm up, I'm here. And then th those are the stories that often can fall down because people are like, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then the worst part of that is when the storyteller recognizes people don't care about them and then they either get defensive, mm. right? I, you see this happen in comedy all the time. Yeah. They get defensive and they push back against the crowd and that never works, yeah. right? Or they get nervous and then they, you know, they de-voice and, and then we lose them that way. Yeah. So yeah, there has to be a sense of, uh, of conversation, right? Like it's a privilege for them to be there to hear you, but it's also a privilege for you to be there yeah, uh, to be hurt. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have a, we have a three part. We have a three part, uh, which actually might have just finished uh, recently uh, on on audiences and just audiences. And it was I think it was called uh, trust your audience. Um, Oh, man, it's one was fuck the audience, yeah, <laughs> which was my favorite one, uh, and then the third was oh protect the audience, yes, uh, which was sort of like you know don't you know basically like and that protect the audience is also an interesting concept because it's like what does the store what does the event have to do to protect the audience from bad stories? What do you Absolutely. have to do to prevent you know there's a there's so many pieces involved in that too. Yeah, I think all, all three of those things are really important, and I'm glad that you separate them, but also bring them under the same umbrella because they're yeah. different elements of the same beast. Like, uh, the audience-performer relationship is just that. It's a relationship, and you have to treat it like any other relationship. It just happens to be between, instead of being between one person and another person, it's one person and like 60 strangers, Yeah. right? But there's a contract there. Something that we deal with in comedy, I, I assume this doesn't happen much in storytelling, but I, it might, is, is uh, bad audience members, hecklers. Oh, right? yeah. Right. People who don't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that comedians are uh, routinely faced with. And that's mm. part of protecting the audience, right? This guy's not enjoying the show. Well, how can I make him, how can I help him to enjoy it? And then if he keeps pushing me back, well, how do I you know, get rid of get him? Rid of him yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Either by shutting him down or by like actually, like literally moving him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what's interesting actually is that storytelling doesn't 
Switzerland has, I guess, has has consistently avoided avoided that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's because it hasn't come ubiquitous enough. I think at some point it could end up falling falling into you know, like right now. There's no open mic. Well, there's a couple of mic storytelling events, but they're not nearly as common as open mics. Right. And you're not going. People are just. Some of that heckling has become a almost a thing you go to do at comedy shows. Yeah, and and people who uh, go to comedy to heckle are garbage people right. who deserve uh, no happiness in their <laughs> lives. They're the worst. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, there's. I I think the difference is is that the expectation with storytelling mm. is you'll hear a story. Right. The expectation with comedy is. I will laugh. Right. Right? You will make me laugh. And if you don't, our contract, because I paid for this beer and this ticket, is I can say whatever I want to you. Right. And that's not true. Right. Or fair to anybody. Right. right? Yeah. Um, but I've found, yeah, storytelling, the reason I gravitated towards storytelling in lieu of doing stand-up is because it's way friendlier. Oh, yeah. There's, it's remarkably friendlier. It's incredible. And, <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm a comedian. I'm a funny guy. I get to be funny mm-hmm. when I tell a story, but there's no expectation. Mm-hmm. And I also get to tell a story that I care about and be emotionally invested in. And I get to be all the different spectrums of myself, not just the funny guy. Yeah, because yeah exactly. That, I don't know. It's not... Interesting. It's not as interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah, you, you, yeah. You're stuck in a very specific. Yeah, and, and again, you, yeah. Then, you 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 can't. Sometimes you can't necessarily dive into some of the more interesting conversations you could be having, or the more like you could do. You can just do so much more with storytelling. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and and it's like you know, comedy is hilarious, but some of the, you know some of the best com- comedians, some of the, best, the really the best comedians are essentially storytellers. A hundred percent. Yeah, I saw Ron James when I was really young. And uh, I saw like a one hour long show and it was just a story. It was basically a one man show of but him moving to LA and not making it and coming back, <laughs> coming back to Canada. And it was great. And it really changed what I thought comedy was. Mm. And I saw it young enough that I wasn't angry about it. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. Um, but certainly like the, the comedians that everybody likes now are storytellers, mm-hmm. you know, like the top tier stand-ups right now are all storytellers. Yeah. I mean, you see it particularly um, uh, in Louis, like Louis is fully transitioned to storytelling. Oh yeah, yeah you know, yeah. with Horace and Pete, like he's right. there's n- there's no jokes in Horace and Pete, right? <laughs> um, and you know, uh, Bo Burnham and Tig and stuff like that. Like they're more running one man shows, one mm-hmm. person shows, pardon me, yeah. uh, than just cracking five minutes of jokes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one uh, one last uh, question. Kind of, kind of, kind of ir- I'm curious to, to as someone who's sort of inv- invested in the sort of scene uh, or the art scene more generally. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll get you to pitch your whole thing, and we can we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, but but briefly, just like, do you see a movement towards storytelling as, as a as a as a wider net uh, within 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 arts? Is like is that like a, like a, is that like for someone who's like I, I've I'm relatively you know, I'm not. Yeah, you know, like, like what's funny about this was like, we, we mentioned that like uh, at, at the event, uh, press gang is like the one of the oldest storytelling events in the city at like four or five years old. But then there's you know, but then when One Thousand One Nights comes up and he laughs, that means like when he said that, it's like one of the oldest, we're from 1978. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, well, yeah, but like there was 1978, and then there was like you know. 2010 totally, totally. is sort of the next one. Yeah. Uh, and now it's sort of ubiquitous. Uh, well, it's interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm uh, very much outside of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know there were so many events in the city. Um, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that there are. I feel like it's the kind of thing that has popped up uh, coinciding with the rise in podcasting mm. uh, because distribution is so easy now. Um, but also... Uh, there's more to do. There's more reason to go to bars than just to listen to music or drink, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
um, especially in this city and, and most cities in Canada, I think, Montreal and Vancouver are certainly the same. There are a lot of places to go where there is just space in the back of the room to do something. And there are people who are hungry to share. And I also think generationally, like, you know, people our age and younger um, grew up with more of an artistic background and artistic freedom and leisure than uh, maybe the generations ahead of us, right? right? Like, I think the, the facility for art is broadening. And it's not just in like verbal presentational art, but uh, I think uh, visual art and uh, performance art and dance art is really increasing at a similar pace, yeah. right? Uh, and it's really cool to see. I mean, I'm, I'm an improv guy, and the uh, improv and like live comedy scene has really like fluctuated in the last few years. Like five years ago, there were tons of little improv rooms all over the city, and now it's consolidated into a few kind of like core venues, like Bad Dog Comedy Bar, SoCap, and, uh, and the John Candy Box in Second City. So I'm interested to see kind of where we go from there, if, we like, if there's another burst right. or, or what. And I think storytelling is probably heading towards um, uh, uh, a max of expansion mm -hmm. that will then coalesce into certain key locations. If I could make a prediction based on what I've seen in the you know six or seven years I've been doing this, yeah. and I think that'll benefit everyone. Right, yeah. Having like a a core home where this stuff happens, I think will be really interesting. Yeah, because as an improv hub, Bad Dog uh, does all of these different has all of these different types of improv and types of performance, and I think it would be interesting to apply that same philosophy to uh, to mm. storytelling because yeah. there's so many different ways to do this, right? Um, even something as simple as like the the tone of oh yeah of a story oh yeah right? yeah the tone is huge the tone is eighty percent of the differences between the events right now exactly you know there's like yeah there's maybe three or four different like that's what the event the, the storytellers fet showed of one thing it was actually that the of each story was so was actually quite different even though they're you know six of the eight were were just personal narrative yeah yeah and the style is is relatively similar across the board. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's following a basic three act structure and um, you know, the, the, the tenets of, of classical storytelling are all there. Mm -hmm. I think because a lot of people have studied that, but also just because we, we just know how that works. Yeah. I think people just kind of have that in their blood at, yeah. at this point. Yeah, 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 it, it sounds right. Yeah, I mean, you can't, it's hard yeah. to explain why it sounds right. It just sounds right. It's the hardest thing about teaching for me is I you can't I'm I can't teach rhythm. Right, rhythm is the most important thing to, tell, to telling a story. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you hit your beats, make it sound right. Yeah, but yeah, you can't tell what it sounds right until you hear it. Well, and and I think that goes back to my piece of advice earlier. Is just like say your story out loud all the time. Yeah, I tell my stories to myself in the shower. Mm. Right, like the day of an event, I'll just spend my whole shower time. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> uh, saying my story over and over again. Right, right. Yeah, and that's where you find those rhythms. It's yeah, like, you know when it lands. Here. Yeah, exactly. You get, you get to a point where you read one sentence, you're like, I know exactly how to say this sentence and where to pause and when to land it. And you, it, it's interesting. It, it's interesting on then trying to hear other people tell their stories and be like, you need to pause there. Yeah. Because if you pause there, you'll get a laugh. If you yes. don't pause there, you'll miss it. You'll miss it entirely. Yeah. And a part of that is just giving yourself time to think. Mm -hmm. Because the, if you need time to think, the audience probably does too. Right, yeah. If yeah, you yeah. need to recenter yourself, the audience also needs that break. Right, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, so next Tales from the Black is May sixth. May sixth. Yeah. Great. So this will come out on the twenty seventh. Oh, great. Yeah. So great. just so like basically this is Wednesday the twenty seventh. So wait one week and three days and go to see uh, Tales from the Black uh, on on May sixth at the Bad Dog at Bad Dog uh, Comedy Theater, which is at Blur and Ossington, uh, eight seven five Blur Street West, mm-hmm. and um, our event is the first Friday of every month at eleven p.m. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a preview this month. Um, Myself and Jocelyn and Nick, who are the people who run the stories, Jocelyn is writing a story for all three of us that's about the three Robins from Batman. Oh, it's amazing. So it's like the three sidekicks of a crime fighter, uh, like the three different ages of, of this crime fighter's sidekick. Until you get all together or separate? No, separately, like over the course of the night. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Man, I, I, so as a quick aside, I had a conversation. We had our event on the, on the, on the last Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and we briefly got a chance to think about what our two-year might be. And this is a, this is a spoiler I want to turn everybody might be, is that I think we want to go back and find parallel stories that happen with four stories we've already told and have the other people tell them. Cool. Because uh, cool. that kind of stuff I find fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so any last thoughts, tips, anything else uh, before we, before we uh, close out? Um, just do it. If you want to do it, do it. You know? if, you have some, if you have a story you want to tell, if you think it's interesting, someone else will think it's interesting too. And the, best piece of, the biggest piece of advice that I give to my students uh, is that you are interesting. People are interesting. Mm-hmm. And people want to hear about people. Right, like the stories that we consume uh, all the time in newspapers and books on Netflix, like those came from personal experience, and their experience is no more valid than yours is. Amazing, great. Well, thank you so much, Colin Munch. Thanks. Uh, Tales from the Black, uh, and yeah, have uh, have a good night, everyone. <laughs> we never close. We literally, I don't, I've never, I never know how to close. This. I don't. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Androids. Androids, because they deserve love too.